why the hell, why are we not sleeping? Why we are constantly running around, diving, swimming, kickboxing, uh, practicing, weaponing. I mean, it was a nightmare. There's no two ways about it. Top leaders, meaningful conversation, actionable advice, bulldoze complacency, ignite inspiration, create impact. Produced by the Southwestern family of companies, this is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. On today's show, we welcome Roy Deckel, the CEO of Set Schedule, an American technology company poised to disrupt the real estate industry. Prior to Set Schedule, Roy sold billions in financial products and managed a lofty residential portfolio and spent time in the Israeli Defense Forces. Roy is also a donor activist, and a champion for children's education. We hope you enjoy. Well, Action Catalyst listeners, this is Dan Moore, and we are very, very excited today to have Roy Deckel with us. Roy is the co-founder and CEO of Set Schedule, which he'll share some more information about with us, but he has an incredible background, having an impact to defend the free world, and now having an impact to defend people's right for free choice in real estate and many other great things that he's done in the charitable and nonprofit sphere as well. So, Roy, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here. Roy, you've had an amazing background. Uh, I know that you served in the equivalent of the Navy SEALs in the Israeli Defense Force, which is absolutely incredible. But I wonder if you could share some of what you consider the most important pivots or twists and turns in your career, starting as a young man that ended up being where you are today and making such a difference in the world. Well, thank you for the question, Dan. Obviously, I love it because <laughs> who doesn't like to talk about their history, right? If, if you want to carve it out more to the corporate evolution, post-military service, obviously, I could do that. Uh, but uh, if you think about the experience as an entrepreneur, obviously, I, I had the privilege to, I mean, I was born and raised in Israel, so I was essentially a demanded was to serve in the military, but I, 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 I volunteered to serve in special operations and become an officer. But ultimately, I had privilege to carry that experience into the civilian personal life uh, and corporate life. And uh, when I did that, I think I got a little bit of kind of like it's almost like a cheat sheet that was an accelerated mode to maybe uh, avoid mistakes. But ultimately, in the 15 years experience that I had in the corporate world and the charitable world and you know civilian, I, I uh, went through a lot of pivots that revolve around basically junior mistakes, as I call them. Uh, junior mistakes that uh, a lot of people make along the way, and especially entrepreneurs. So many of the pivots I can talk about. One specific question. Many of our listeners are returned veterans. What was sort of your thought process as you were leaving the IDF, and, and how did you get into the business world? When I left the IDF, let's put it this way, I was, I was still a kid. Right. I mean, I, I knew that I served in a great unit. I knew that I was an officer. I knew that I enjoy uh, leading and managing. And I knew that probably somewhere in the DNA, I'm, I want to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know where and what's going to be my my manifesto or business model or what's going to be my industry. Uh, but ultimately, I, I knew that at the end of the day, I would want to build something that could benefit society. Right. I mean, the end user in mind. So I went through the, the evolution from um, uh, the military and implemented a lot of the training that I've been through or went through in my earlier career. Okay. So you identified that you had some strengths, you enjoyed leading people, and you wanted to do something that would contribute positively to society. And the whole entrepreneurial thing was a powerful draw for you. That's great. 
Now, specifically, I know you're involved in selling a lot of financial services and real estate related products, and now you're more of a, of a powerful connector of buyers and sellers and people seeking information on the market. Can you share some of the maybe twists and turns that caused all that to come about? Sure. Essentially, I'm a big believer that we need to address as a society, we want to address uh, challenges and, and, and problems that actually affect big communities to the core, basically. And, 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 and the aspect of real estate was actually, I don't want to call it an accident, but actually uh, the thought process started with the idea of creating communities of professionals that can connect with their prospects more efficiently using technology. Right. And I came from the financial services and the real estate services world, uh, investigating in real estate funds or what have you. And I realized that there's a tremendous amount of gap between individuals' abilities. Okay. I mean, some people would refer to it as a core competencies as a businessman or a salesman and their ability to actually connect with prospects or to be competitive enough to have enough prospects to actually build a business and be profitable. You know, essentially that's how Set Schedule was born from the evolution of buying hundreds and thousands of uh, properties, diving into basically the core problem of assisting and helping real estate agents grow their business. That was kind of like the initial evolution of Set Schedule. But the vision statement was much broader than that. And it's, it, it, again, like I said, it revolves around uh, enabling professionals, even if they're solopreneurs, to be more relevant, competitive, and successful in connecting with their prospects. I see. So a person that may have a, a one-man band or a one-woman band can actually connect at a really professional high level with people and, and create the right impression so they don't think, well, this is just a one-off. Instead, it's a really professional connection point. Yes. You know that, as my grandma used to say, not all fingers are the same length, right? Not everything created equal kind of thing. And you know that there's sometimes unfair advantage to some groups, whether it's budget, whether it's geolocation. And and, and the real estate was obviously a catalyst for us, like I said. Uh, so ultimately, we, we realized that the solopreneurs and in the small businesses, not even an SMB, but a small businesses in a space of real estate, uh, which you're talking about a you know, 2 million businesses, I mean, license holders in the space of real estate are constantly struggling with the idea of having a constant drive, constant push, constant ability to either perform budget and in an economical way to scale that business, right? So that that's kind of like where set schedule was born from the idea of controlling the schedule better, hence the set schedule, and doing it in an economical way that enables you to grow your business and be competitive. That makes total sense because for people that are maybe not aware of the real estate market, this is not a salary-based business. This is a business where income entirely depends upon production. And so if people can use their time better, they can have better production and therefore build a business that is sustainable and something that can grow too. Correct. And then it applies to so many different industries. Uh, if you look at the charitable organization that constantly needs uh, new donors, right? Donations and, and capital, uh, it conceptually through the set schedule applications and everything that we have in the roadmap in the coming months and years, we're going to enable this very efficient connection between even a, a foundation and, a, and, and then the donor that may be a CEO of a company X and they're on the platform. I mean, again, we, we fully, we, we are obsessed over creating efficiencies and, and enabling the smaller business to be efficient and successful on a constant basis. Right. Now, you mentioned charitable work. I know that your great passion is children's education, and I understand that a lot of that roots from your own childhood experiences. Can, can you share a bit how you became so involved with that and why that's such an important conviction you have? 
Absolutely. That's an awesome question, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard to explain, but uh, I'll, I'll say it in a, in, in a funny way. I've started the military. I've seen a couple of different wars in Israel and the Middle East. And then uh, I came here and basically dove into the entrepreneurial lifestyle without looking back. But every time I see a sick child or every time I see a child that is at a disadvantage, whether it's uh, economically, whether it's, you know, uh, from, from social environment, then, you know, obviously an orphan child, it just breaks my heart. It's kind of like in the family, we called my crib tonight. So I, I realized at a young age that that's something I cared deeply about and it's just in my DNA. My childhood was was great. I was fortunate enough to have a great childhood in good area, but not, you know, I didn't come for money. But I, I just feel that kids have this obviously inherent disadvantage of, you know, their ability to actually, you know, solve their problems. And, and it was, it developed to be my, my kryptonite. So I made it a mission to really be constantly involved in everything that revolves around uh, children, children education and, uh, and medical needs. Children are the future. I know that's just an old slogan, but it is absolutely true. And giving them a chance to maybe have some equity in their start is what you're striving for. You definitely can predict the future of where your country, where our country is going to be 10, 20 years from now. I mean, if you just really spend the time in, in listening, reviewing, and understanding what we're doing to our next generation. And I know this is not rocket science, it's pretty elementary, right? But that, that's a crystal ball that you can predict if you pay attention to the kids of, of today's generation. And there's a lot of them. These are sort of the, the grandchildren of my generation, which were the baby boomers. And so you have these waves of population growth, and this is a, a third wave after that one. So lots of kids, and many of them are not growing up in the best situations at all. Roy, I know our listeners sometimes hit brick walls. They just stopped. I'm sure you've had a few of those over the years. Any lessons you could share about how to react, first of all, mentally and emotionally, and then practically when we hit one of those unexpected brick walls? Absolutely. That's actually one of my one of my favorite general kind of like mentorship questions. So thank you for this question, man. The, the answer can be I mean, for, for producing a movie, right? I would go and do like a flashback rewind story and going back to my buttons training, right? My equivalent of basic underwater demolition training, which is basically the sales training. Uh, I got into the training knowing that I just wanted to pass the training. I did. I don't want to quit. That I wanna. I want to win it. I want to be it. I wanna. I want to be part of this unit. And um, you have what's called Hell Week in Bud's training, which is really Hell Week. Now, when I served, it was before, way before Facebook and, and and Twitter and YouTube. So I didn't get the privilege of actually watching these things before I was in that unit. I actually realized that we have that there is such thing as called Hell Week during Hell Week. When I asked myself, why the hell? Why are we not sleeping? Why we are constantly running around, diving, swimming, kickboxing, uh, practicing, weaponry, and just it, it was. I mean, it was a nightmare. I mean, it's there's no two ways about it, right? Uh, and that's where I would say 40% of the unit quits or the cadets quit. Okay. I mean, you started training with about 180 wannabes, you end up with about 80 entering Hell Week. And probably by the end of Hell Week, you, you end up with about 40 or 30 individuals. And I was one of them. And I found myself for years, how and why and, and, and what was what was really the, 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 out, the element that carried me through that. And then the answer, by the way, is what I use and obsess over regularly to this day, right? I mean, whether it's charitable project or whether it's corporate project. And to me, it was pretty simple. I never forget that. During Hell Week, all I needed to do 
is to think about two things. Number one is I closed my eyes and I thought about the fact that I want it to be Friday and it will be Friday at some point. <laughs> Eventually. Okay. <laughs> so, so what's the worst that can happen? right? It's going to be Friday. I'll be thrown all these challenges. I'll sleep about the equivalent of, of, of six hours the entire week. So call it about half an hour or an hour per day, but I'll be okay. I mean, nobody's going to kill me, right? I mean, training. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing. The second thing is I remember what my dad told me. And it's it's kind of it's funny, but I remember when I was broken during boot camp training, actually it wasn't even hell week. And I remember that I actually called crying <laughs> to my parents and my dad told me that and that was actually like i said before hell and said roy no one on this planet is able to stop time so if this is your mission just let time work itself out and keep going with the mission right so i remember that line which is again pretty elementary and i remember and i exercised the idea of i made the commitment to do something nothing comes without challenges i mean if it was easy everybody would have done that and all you need to do is to close your eyes and say it will be friday but if i do it right and i stick around it will be friday with my achievement of success and that's how i exercise my my decision making process and, and and management style today I think it's awesome. You also got somebody else involved. You called your dad. And I'm sure that that emotional push of somebody that you respected and looked up to was right in front of you all the time as you were working toward Friday. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in learning to adapt, listening to advice, listening to constructive criticism that comes from a good place and really sick for mentors. It's, it's okay to have mentors. It's not a sign of weakness. It's absolutely important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke with another gentleman who'd spent about 27 years as a Navy SEAL in this country, and he also spoke about how many people rang the bell during BUDS and, and left the training. And he said the one thing they all seemed to have in common that made it was it was not all about them. It was about someone else that was important to them. And I think that's a good lesson as well, realizing that people in our lives mean something, and it's not just about us. Absolutely. A hundred percent. We actually have in the company what we call management development program. And uh, we actually had this conversation about the difference between dopamine and actually the power of the congregation or the power of the network. It is much more powerful where you see a child smiling and being grateful to something you've done for them as opposed to you going to Facebook and getting 10 likes, which drives your dopamine creation, right? So when you are doing something for better goods or for some external goal, it's much stronger than than if you did it just for vanity purposes or for your internal selfish wants and needs. That makes sense. I sometimes think about the difference between joy, which is what you just described, and amusement. And amusement are things that we do without fault, without thought, and they just random, but true joy always involves other people and some connection of our abilities applied to the problems of the world. That's when true joy occurs. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> well, let's let's share some other thoughts. What, what do you do to keep from getting complacent? You've been highly successful in business. Probably you could sit back, put your feet up on the desk and tell people how great you are, but you don't. You are continuing to grow. You're developing and nurturing people. You're coaching others. What do you do to keep from getting what we call satisfied-itis? That's a great question. And again, it ties to everything that I've done, everything that pretty much any under any successful entrepreneur and executive, a business executive does. I, I would break it down to two parts. 
the first part was what we just talked about, right? So I mean, I'm, I'm analyzing the why, and I'm figuring out why am I doing it? What's my what's my passion? What's my vision? Why am I doing this? Uh, and, and again, I mean, for me, for example, every time I come in the office, I don't think about the fact that I'm coming to the office because I'm the CEO and this is an exciting environment and I get such a great uh, vanity uh, validation of my title and my my brand. I come in the office because I think, oh, I I actually have 200 team members and, and keep growing at a, at a very fast pace. And and I'm responsible for their families. I'm responsible for their families. I'm responsible for their livelihood and their career. And I want to make sure that 20 years from now, the most amount of people from the company can, can exit said schedule and say, oh, this was the pinnacle of my career that made me who I am and enabled me to, to be uh, independently wealthy, healthy, and provide for my kids. So it's a long way of saying, uh, you know, it's basically the, the, the combination of everything we talked about, uh, the joy and, and what drives me forward. That's more self- selfishly speaking, the competitive analysis, right? Driving forward is I'm a big believer in always look at the ones that are bigger than you and are doing better than you, even if it's superficial, right? Because I'm not trying to get to their personal life. But if I'm looking at a Jeff Bezos, if I'm looking at a Mark Zuckerberg that is young, to me, I'm looking at him and I'm saying, okay, I want to keep driving because he's driving and I'm far behind him still, right? And that's just the reality of things. So I use them as a compass to identify my constant pull and goals. You know, they're saying if if you want to break a Guinness uh, world record, if you want to be the fastest runner in the Olympics, you need to have someone running right next to you. Um, so so it, it, to me, that's the second component is creating this com- competitive compass that enables me to say, I want to keep pushing forward. That's great. So you have an internal focus, but you also have an external radar. Yep. I love it. Now, in terms of, again, personal self-management, we might call it, do you have a morning routine, something that is a habit for you to start your day? The answer is absolutely yes. The way I operate is pretty predictable. It's the most predictable way that you can think of. And and if you read articles, you will see that they talk about how Steve Jobs always wore black turtleneck, you know, shirt, and, and he didn't have this decision fatigue over what shirt to wear to work. And I kind of like to do the same thing, not because I read that <laughs> it was years ago. It's a, maybe the military pragmatic approach. When I wake up in the morning, I know that I will always shower. <laughs> I know that I have my t-shirt, my jeans, and my Lacoste shoes. I know that I wake up between 6.30 to 6.45, and by 7, I have to be out. I know that when I get to the office, I have my first cup of coffee and et cetera, et cetera. But the point is, and 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 alongside that, I also know that everything that I need is positioned in a place that I always leave it. Like for example, I don't lose my phone. I don't lose my phone because my phone can only be in one spot in the house. And I'm gonna not lose the car keys because they're gonna be in one spot in my bag in the house. Pretty predictable. So when you create this predictability, you don't burn your brain cells over decision fatigue or over a decision that are not necessarily driving your core goal, right? So you leave bandwidth in, in, in our CPU, in our, in our brain, you leave bandwidth for the important decisions that you want to make throughout the course of the day. Mm-hmm. So you rely on the force of habit and the power of routine to keep emotional energy in reserve for the most important things. Absolutely. Yeah. There's an old saying, why is it when you lose something, you always find it in the final place you look? (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) But if you can just remember, car keys go here, phone goes here. Plus, I think you also have an emotional drive to get the day started because, again, you got 200 people depending on you and you have many families that are depending upon you. 
it's pretty hard to roll over and hit the snooze alarm when you realize people are expecting me to do my best. And I make a point to keep the, the clock far from me so I cannot hit the snooze alarm. That's another strategy. <laughs> don't, don't, don't leave it within reach because you're going to turn it off. <laughs> yes, sir. I guess my last uh, set of questions for you, Roy, would be to help encourage people that really need encouragement. Some of our listeners are, are kind of out of aces right now. How would you advise people to keep into motion and get things going again? That's a great question, obviously in light of the pandemic. And I'll start with a perspective. It's going to sound a little bit cheesy, but I think it's important that we slow down and we think about it. Mm. Uh, the start of life and the end of life, and I heard it recently, the start of life and the end of life are kind of like the only definitive real things that you cannot change. Everything in between is, as Shakespeare said, it's, it's, it's a stage, right? It comes, it goes, it's what's the worst that can happen? Just just think about it, right? I mean, this is not the start and end of life. This is in between. This is the quality of life that you can build and you can work around and what's the worst that can happen. So if, if and I'm going to go extreme, right? Hypothet- not hypothetical, theoretical, but extreme. There's no money. You didn't get an SBA law, no funny big business, and you have to shut down your, your restaurant. For example, I mean, they suffered tremendously, right? They would have to shut down the restaurant. Uh, well, then that's that's it, right? So the restaurant is shut down. Now, the next thing that you need to think about immediately is what is your next action and how you're creating a new critical path to a solution? And the solution is out there. The solution is out there because you can start a new restaurant. You can partner with a new great friend that you've known for years. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. I went through one of the toughest uh experience in my life. And I ran into my friend and we started set schedule uh, together. So you may go now after one business crash, you go, you go to a, a new business and that business would be even better. And I've seen this so many times, so many times entrepreneurs were actually more successful after their biggest failures. So it's at the end of the day, money. And I know money is important. And, and, and I know that, you know, you can take this advice in multiple different ways and say, oh, Roy doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's doing okay, right? That's not true. I mean, we all have our challenges and we all came from failures. If we have a success, we'll probably have multiple failures for a successful story. But ultimately, you can pivot and you can change industries and you can even go in for now or temporarily work for companies. I mean, the job, uh, the employment world now, I mean, there's, I think for every applicant, there are 20 different positions open now. So you can find a job and everything is going to be okay. I love the combination of practical action and internal attitude that everything's going to be okay. There will be a Friday. We can get there, but I can't get there by sitting around hitting the snooze alarm. I've got to get into motion and keep things moving. That is sound advice, Roy. It was a great instant edit of all of my lines. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's terrific. Well, I want to thank you so much, but not just for what you shared today, but the way you're living your life, because it's an example to everybody around you. And we never know when that example will affect somebody and then their example affects someone else, but it's always important. So thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And as always, thanks for listening.